Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer. I'm the group CEO here at 11FS. In today's episode, we're examining why we need to start pulling these services back into financial services. That might seem strange given the services is literally in the industry's name, but at 11FS, we believe there is a real service gap in the industry where companies have fixated over products or customer numbers or data rather than the customers themselves and fundamentally how best to serve them. It's also something we often talk to our clients about. And today I've literally come off the back of having one of those conversations and, and myself and Ewan have, have had many of these over the last months as well. And it's one of those ones that when we see a pattern, when we see consistency in those conversations, that we want to open up that conversation to you, our listeners. It was the fundamental of why we started the podcast in the first place. So what we're going to be doing, we're going to have something of a bit of a fireside chat today. Um, neither of us are actually sat by a fireside, unfortunately. But what we're going to be doing is trying to unpick what we really mean when we say that services have fallen out of financial services. To have that discussion with me, I'm joined by Ewan Silver, who's the group CTO over at 11FS. How's it going, Ewan? It's uh, great to, uh, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, we have these types of conversations all the time, but now we're going to give the listeners a bit of an introduction into this as well. But speaking of introductions, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, David. It is kind of weird. I don't think you and I have ever actually done this formally on a podcast before. Although, um, I mean, I don't know, we do it like multiple times a week, right? So um, I'm, as you said, I'm, I'm group CTO here. So my job is to basically uh, run all the engineering teams, uh, help deliver all the products we build, uh, and also hopefully change a few people's minds when we, we talk to exec teams and other things around the world. Very good. And, and I guess, um, you know, diving in, because actually, you know, this one is one that's so close to really what me and you do, you and on a, on a day-to-day basis. If I just give a bit of a, a short overview of, of actually really the conversations that we we have. And and I say, you know, I literally had a conversation with a bank from overseas that was in the UK today. I sat down with their their board and their CEO and and pretty much had this exact conversation. You know, you get pulled into a room and they go, okay, um, what is the future of financial services? And and as we say, I mean spoiler alert, it is services, right? It's it's actually about really thinking about what has fallen out of the industry? What are the things that actually fundamentally were the things that actually made the industry great? Uh, what were the things that actually created the deeply empathetic, the warmth, the creative uh, engagement that customers really needed? Uh, and fundamentally, that's people. You know, the, the thing that actually made financial services successful was people, because financial services is a, a very boring, a very... Uh, acronym-heavy industry that actually becomes very difficult for normal people to really engage with. Normal people on the street, I don't mean you listeners, you guys are, are fintech nerds, you know this stuff, you know it's difficult, you know people use acronyms to to avoid uh, talking like normal humans, right? So, But for customers, then financial services with percentages and APRs and all of the complexity of all of these terms is really difficult for people to get their heads around. Now, the challenge is, is that the investment in digital has actually digitized the industry. It isn't about the creation of new ways to serve customers. Actually, the investment in digitizing the industry has been about taking people, taking paper, taking premises out of the equation. And really what that's done is it's taken that that warmth, it's taken that 
that human experience away from people who fundamentally need that. You know, in a world of actually cost of living challenges and problems across the world, whether it's, you know, from a, a, a political perspective or, you know, uh, otherwise, then then actually people need support, they need help, they need guidance more now than ever before. So with all of the investment in digital, are we really in a better place? And actually our argument is that we're sort of not. You know, as we at 11FS often say, the, the gap between the financial instruments that people are providing to people and the customer's actual problems are widening. And that is a real challenge. You know, like I say, with inflation or energy crises, that service gap is becoming more and more significant. And therefore, the the gap of uh, really what traditional financial services needs to be, what it really actually means to be a financial services organization is ever more important, but ever more missing in that agenda. The flip of this is we've got big organizations who are incredibly risk averse, who are trying to change their cost structuring and, and actually have become almost inhibited by the very things that made them successful over the last two to 300 years. And this is difficult. This is hard problems. This is structural change. This is not just a technological conversation. It is a, a fundamental rethink of actually what financial services is there to do. So, you know, when we sort of trivially say the future of the financial services industry is services, we do understand how deep-seated that change is. But what we want to do today is dig a little bit more into that. We want to dig into the technology. We want to dig into the operations. We really want to try and double-click on it and actually maybe help a few more people where you and me and you talk to a lot of people on these ones in, in this sense, but the more people's brain gets a little bit rewired with this different way of thinking about it, the more actually fundamentally the fabric of financial services will be benefited. So with that long-winded introduction, I'd like to dig a little bit more into this. I mean, what does the technology mean? What does the operation mean? How does that fundamentally rewire what it is that financial services is there to do? And we're going to get stuck into that but first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. Hey, folks, we have super duper exciting news. The shortlist for this year's 11FS Awards is officially live. We asked you, the incredible FinTech Insider community, to help us choose the deserving winners of the 11FS Awards and your response was outstanding. You voted in record numbers, and it's now time to see if your favorite fintech companies made the shortlist. With a total of 10 different awards up for grabs on the big night, including categories like best experience design, fintech for good, best use of AI, and consumer game changer, there is a lot to look forward to. Don't wait. Explore that full shortlist now at 11fsawards.com. That is 11fsawards.com. And be sure to stay tuned to all of our channels to find out who will take home one of the coveted 11fs award trophies on Wednesday, 15th of November. Hello, it's Benjamin here, Director of Research and Strategy at 11fs. Earlier this year, we published Building the Future of Home Buying, a report that calls out financial services for making the biggest, most significant purchase of most people's lives way more difficult than it needs to be. Well, fast forward to today and things haven't changed. Mortgage offerings are more important now than they have ever been, with sky-high interest rates in many countries forcing home buyers to shop around. We've got clients asking us how to move quickly to fix the problem and get a game-changing product to market. Want to know the secret? 
Step one, download the report at 11fs.com slash homebuying. Step two, get in touch at 11fs.com slash ventures. Speak soon. So I guess, look, you and we've we've established this is quite a big topic, right? And and actually, I mean, the next sort of 30 minutes or so, we're going to try and unpack some of those pieces that are there. I mean, the ultimate future for financial services is services, right? We're, we're moving away from those dumb products. We're, we're trying to bring about contextualization. So, I mean, what do you think to that? This is sort of the conversation we always have with people. So jump in. I know you've got lots of opinions. So, um, I mean, as you said, we talk to a lot of people all the time. I think you and I have probably had this conversation four or five times with different clients this week, um, you know, all around the world. I, I think the fundamental problem with banking is that um, it's set up with banking products. Uh, you know, bankers have for uh, the last 50, 100 years, whatever, they, they know the products that they're selling. They're, they're banking products, they're siloed products, they're retail accounts or mortgages or credit cards or so on and so forth. And, you know, the organizations are set up around that way. You know, they're set up, you know, it makes sense from a regulatory perspective, it makes sense from an accounting perspective, it makes sense from a legal perspective. Uh, and actually, it made sense probably 20, 30, 40 years ago to do it that way. But actually, it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, I think people have lost sight of, you, know, you kind of said it to the empathic and human element of it. People have lost sight of the fact that actually customers don't want to buy, a, you know, a current account or mortgage or whatever it might be. You know, we always talk about that job to be done. But the underlying systems and the underlying operational processes and the underlying governance processes just aren't set up that way. You know, I, I think that the primary driver that we see is is, is a, it's, a, it's an old-fashioned technology uh, law called Conway's Law. Uh, and, and Conway's Law basically talks about the fact that you know, it was set up by some hippie in the 1960s in, in Stanford where computers were just coming. It was, a, it was a bit of a joke, to be honest. He didn't really meant it to be taken seriously. But actually, he was looking at the way that computer systems were built, and he realized that computer systems that were built by one team tended to be monolithic. Computer systems that were built by two, two teams tended to have separate compartments. And, and actually, he realized that the your organizational structure drives your architecture, and your architecture drives your organizational structure. And, and banks, I think, have, have got into this weird hole where they've ended up these, these silos, said the, you know, the retail systems and the commercial banking systems and the credit card systems and whatever they might be, uh, and everything's set up that way. And that, that's then driven an architectural choice. But the architecture needs to change, but it can't do that until the organizational and process changes take place. So the two things are they yin and yang of the same coin, and they're stuck. Yeah. And, and I guess in, in that guise, I mean, you sort of, I mean, it's, it seems mean, but you sort of get what you deserve to a certain degree, don't you? But but I, I guess the the objective has shifted, hasn't it? If we, if we go back to why, again, the sort of pursuit of digitization within big organizations was, was kicked off, you know, every digital transformation program, the ROI fundamentally was taking people, taking paper out, right? And, and really what we've got to is now a kind of a world of self-service. You know, we we all have an app, we all have a bank, we all have a statement on a mobile device, but that isn't service, is it? And the danger with that, as you say, you know, the removal of those sort of, you know, fleshy, empathetic things that used to frequent branches. I mean, the problem with losing those guys is actually the customers are essentially exposed to the technology. And, and I, I guess with that regard, 
you know, this narrative and these conversations, you know, seem to seem to resonate not just with small building societies in the UK or, you know, giant ones in the US or, but equally like huge banks with these global presences, because I, I guess it comes back uh, and you said sort of the monolithic setup to your point around your operation denotes your technology. Well, really, like the operation of the PL structures of organizations, the way in which they budget, the cycles in which they budget, the setup around the financial instruments around them, you know, they have created these top to bottom monolithic structures of technology and people and process. And that becomes really almost an impossible mission to to evolve from, isn't it? So it's a, it's a funny one because I we often sort of say is like, uh, you can see why people have got here given the decisions that they've made and the increments that they've made. But actually, they've sort of painted themselves into a corner, haven't they? Yeah, they have. And it's, it's not just, you know, you shouldn't sort of be hitting just on the banks, although they are culpable for a lot of this. It's also the vendors. You know, the vendors are selling these types of systems. And then, you know, vendors are selling it because the banks want to buy it. The banks are buying them because that's what the vendors are selling them. And so it's a symbiotic thing. But actually, you know, the base level setup is, is it made sense 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But it, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense anymore because... I feel that you know, banking is, 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 is actually relatively simple at, at the end of the day. If you really take it back to its core, it's about you know, effectively three things, storing money, moving money, lending money. And the difference between a retail bank and an SME bank and a, and a credit card and an overdraft and a hundred million pound corporate loan, those differences are not at the base level of the banking operations. They're at the top end of the you know, jobs to be done. Now, the difference is in permissions. Who can do what with this loan? What is the term of the loan? Who can access this account? How does money get in and out? How does it flow through these systems? And, and banks, I think, have they fundamentally lost that understanding of what are the core axioms of banks. You know, this what we would call the base level primitive, that store of value, that, that the, the, the payment rails, you know, and then the, then all the high level permissions and, the, and so on and so forth. And by joining those things together, that is how you should be creating products that then resonate with what the customer wants. Because, you know, you're inside the bank, you see a retail account or you see a, a, an overdraft and, and that's what you sell to the customer. But the customer wants an amalgam of these things. They kind of want the retail account and they kind of want the, 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 the overdraft, but they want to do something else with it. And they, they can't do that. And, you know, we talk about a layered diagram, you know, sort of the sort of at the bottom and then the rails and then moving up into higher level digital, intelligent digital services and, you know, jobs be done, so on and so forth. Uh, and I think that banks, they need to fundamentally step back, look at actually what is happening with regard to, you know, these core level axioms. You know, actually you should, you should almost have like a a single store of value that you can then build multiple propositions on top of your retail account or your corporate account or your expense account or so on and so forth because they are basically the same thing but because banks can't do it they're not set up that way the governance processes and the you know etc aren't, aren't set up that way they're pushing forward this this monolithic mindset and until you like really step back and say why are we here what are we actually doing it's only when you do that and you look at it, you think this makes no sense then actually you can move forward but that's a big step for a lot of people because it forces them to actually question a lot of what they think is reality, and it's not. Well, and that's the challenge, isn't it? Is that, um, you know, every organization is just a manifestation of the people that were in the organization, right? And and often, as we say, the 
the organizations have become successful doing the things that they've done, albeit the market conditions, the market itself has has dramatically changed. But you sort of almost kind of look at the, you've got to look at the symptoms and then look at really what the disease is, right? Because, you know, this manifests itself in big organizations and small organizations in, in pretty different ways, right? I think the There'll be a lot of people kind of listening to this on a, a train going into work into one of these organizations somewhere around the world at, at some point. And actually, you'll recognize this because actually you're, you will spend more time on strategy than you do on execution. Um, because actually, your technology systems are set up in a way that actually it's so hard to do things that you spend so much time on strategy to ensure that you're doing the right thing because you know actually executing is difficult. Uh, we all, we often sort of say, in fact, I think it's a, a T-shirt we often wear to these, uh, these these meetings to sort of hammer home the point, which is ideas are easy, but executing is, is difficult, right? And, and I'd say probably, I mean, you and you know your background with sort of Nutmeg and Betfair and these things, I, I don't think this is... This is not hand wavy. Oh my God, we're so gushing over microservices or event driven or like, oh my God, jobs to be done is so amazing. Like fundamentally, the only sustainable advantage businesses have is to find market opportunities and execute them quicker than competitors, right? This really is what we're pointing at is if your technology doesn't actually allow you to do that uh, and actually you're not able to provide those services, then fundamentally that puts you at a real disadvantage. There's only sort of one direction of travel when it comes to, hey, I can't change products quick enough. Hey, I can't evolve my customer experience. Hey, I can't atomize change. And I mean, that's a real issue, isn't it? It, it is. And as you said, it's like, um, you know, those girls come in on the train in the morning, whether they work in like the smallest, smallest banks or the very largest tier one global banks. I mean, We've, we've literally spoken to, what, to half a dozen people this week, ranging from the top tier ones right through to the very smallest building societies in the UK. I mean, they all have the same problems. And, and for me, it does come from this fundamental organisational technology structure. Uh, I, I think that people are missing the fact that part of the problem, I think, with architecture is it's done by architects and technology is run by technologists. And, and a lot of these guys, and we've heard it multiple times this week, you know, the problem with the technology guys is they're concerned about moving from version 15.2 to 17.6 or something like that. But actually, that, that doesn't really change anything. It's sure, it's a system upgrade. But architecture for, for me is, is it's holistic, it's systemic. It's, it's looking at things across the entire organization. It is your technology architecture is fundamental to your organization and your regulatory architecture. Uh, it's why I, I start with Conway's law. It's why you know, we, we leave with Conway's law. It's why we'll end with Conway's law. They are the same thing. And actually, you know, it's all very well beating up the technologists and saying, well, the architects don't get business. But by the same token, the business guys don't understand. And I put business guys with quotation marks, so I hate that phrase because everyone's a business guy. But, you know, the business people, they don't understand that the capabilities that everyone has, they abdicate responsibility. You shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and I think that, you know, what's needed is you do need to pair it back to the very basics. But actually, when you, when you look about how you build out products and capabilities to move quickly, it, it's, it's, as I said before, it, you're, a store of value is a store of value is a store of value. Sure, it'll differ if you're dropping onto a large core system inside a big tier one or you're using an e-money license in, in, in the UK to spin up a fintech. But at the end of the day, it's, a sto it's somewhere to store money and, and, and money flows in and out. That doesn't differentiate your bank. Where you, where you differentiate your bank 
is at the very top. It's in that job, it's in that experience layer. I, actually, I don't want to call it experience layer because people think that's UX. It is this amalgam of permissions, who can do what with it, uh, what are the, the loans, where does the money come from, uh, and that ability to orchestrate it. You know, we, we talk about sort of a financial operating system, and, and, and that metaphor I think is good because if you look at banks, they've historically welded all of their business processes onto the very thing at the bottom of their organization, which is the core system, which is very analogous to what happened in the, in the computing world in the 1950s. You know, that sort of big white screen, you know, computer, the $6 million man, and the guy, you know, the, 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 the people in there, they're always men who, who, who wore the white coats. Uh, you know, and if you wanted to change anything, you had to, you know, change your hard drive in that machine, you had to rewrite the entire stack, which is exactly what happens in a bank. But nowadays, People don't care about what hard drive they're running on there. You, know, you can tell me what, what hard drive on your Mac is. You'd have no idea because you see Mac OS. Um, and actually, you, you know, the hard drive is analogous to, a, to, to, to your store of value, to your monetary system. It's critical. You can't lose your data. But it's also irrelevant because what matters is whether you're running Slack or Zoom or whatever, whatever app you're, you're running on top, you know, I'm running Brave here as a browser. Um, you know, that allows me to differentiate it. Uh, and actually for a bank, that ability to drop in a new browser type, I go from Brave to Chrome to Edge or whatever it might be, is easy. That's what differentiates the proposition. But they fixate on that low-level capability and miss the, miss the fact that actually it's, it's commodity and the proposition is much higher up the stack. Yeah, and, and, and actually the... To your point, the thing that actually is missing, uh, you know, we've talked about the point around self-service now not being a service. Well, actually, you know, in days gone by, the the interface was the human, but actually now exposing those stacks to customers and allowing themselves to serve themselves is, I mean, is not leading to great outcomes, is it? You know, particularly in a world where we're seeing, you know, financial education nearly never make it onto the curriculum anywhere around the world in a major way. You know, we're seeing people's level of understanding of financial topics uh, get to, you know, all-time low to the point where we're seeing people, you know, getting real good chunks of their financial advice from people on TikTok. Like, that's not a good thing to to, to do, is it? So, but I, I guess in that sense, uh, we should say, and I'm, you know, I'm always kind of empathetic to how we got here. You know, the idea of coalescing people around problems to solve within an organization, you know, pulling people together for focus on savings accounts or focus on current accounts or focus sort of made sense in that world where actually ultimately the arbiter of the experience was a, a human who could straddle all of those monoliths and, and orchestrate that that service for the customer. But what we've sort of seen in this world and, and actually you know, the amount of, you know, robotic process automation or, you know, bizarre big bank, big bang transformations we've seen fail from core banking systems perspective is really that that monolithic structure and the exposure of it to, to consumers. I mean, this really becomes the, you know, albeit I can get where we've got here, that really becomes the, the biggest problem that banks are facing into, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the uh... As you said, they, 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 because they've been so sucked into the machine, they can't see the wood for the trees. And, you know, then 
if, if you said to a banker that, you know, I say banking is trivial, it's storing money, moving money, lending money, the bankers on the other side would go, oh my God, this guy doesn't understand what he's talking about, doesn't he understand how hard it is, et cetera, et cetera. It is hard. It's hard if you're doing it the way that you've always done it. I get that, right? Because you've got old systems and you, you know, new rules come in. You can, and so that you can't change the system. So you have to put humans over the compliance thing, which then means the, the, the guys and the girls in the branches can't make any new products, etc. All of this overhead, all this compliance work is, you know, it, it puts stop to the bank. Um, and that's why I keep coming back to the fact that if you fundamentally we look at the way how a bank should work and you know a lot of these systems don't really exist because it's not in the vendor's interest to sell you systems that allow you to build stuff together as a bank because they want to lock you in you know when you when you procure a system you you as a bank have all the economic advantages as soon as that deal is signed it all goes to the vendor you know you cannot change it and i guess just touching on that ewan because i mean obviously you know we've, we've talked a little bit about big banks here but sort of focusing, I guess, a little bit on the smaller organizations, the the community banks, the building societies, because I guess in the old world where essentially the the small banks would look up to the big banks, arguably the worst thing that the small banks could do is try and build a bank like the big banks, right? Yeah, because, you know, the, the, the business model for the vendors is, you know, large upfront license fee and then an ongoing, you know, sort of... Uh, pay-as-you-go type costs. And that makes sense for a big bank who can afford it. But if you're a small bank and you've got a technology budget of 150, 200,000 pounds a year or whatever it might be, you know, I'm, I'm talking about a small builder society, you, you can't you can't afford these systems. And nobody is out there helping them running these guys. Uh, you know, so they're almost running on Excel and other, other capabilities. You know, Excel is fine to some degree, right? But, you know, trying to get past the regulator, it isn't going to work. And, and these, so there's nothing in the market that allows really allows people to straddle that, that that capability. And so the small banks have to follow the big banks, but it's it's a fool's errand. They don't have the budgets, they don't have the scale, they don't have the capabilities, you know, they don't have the people really to, to be able to put to these problems. And, that, and so they, they need to do something fundamentally different. So I think that, you know, I, I, I'm a Formula One guy, so go, go a bit left field here and you're like, okay, where's he going this one? It's sort of, if you're Williams at the back of the, the Formula One grid, you can't race the same way that Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull do. You have to throw something different. And so the only time that Williams ever get good points in Formula One at the moment is by playing a different strategy. And it's the same with the smaller banks. They cannot play the strategies of the big banks. They have to do something different. And I think, you know, a smaller bank really is potentially in a slightly better place because they don't have as much of the overhead that the large, you know, you're a large tier one in 60 different countries. Geez, you've got a problem, right? Because you know, you've got to change 60 different systems globally. It's probably like 180 different systems globally, you know, just for ledgers or whatever it might be. So actually the small guys, they're suffering because they don't have the scale, but actually that's probably an opportunity because they don't have the scale. Yeah, it's it's it is slightly perverse that, isn't it? That uh, almost on the banking battlefield, the the small banks should be looking at the fintechs for who they want to be when they grow up from a technology perspective, but actually retaining their independence and challenger status with the brand and the origin and everything that they've done, isn't it? But as you say, I mean, it's an exercise in decision making for the smaller organizations, but for for some of the bigger banks, you know, more global, more countries, more problems, more systems. I mean, who who really? I'm always very terrible with like racy models, like who's responsible and who's accountable. And but I just don't I don't know if anybody can actually make that change really happen because it isn't one decision. It's something like 700 decisions across all of those different geos, and and that becomes almost a kind of a Gordian knot of a problem that everybody will 
recognise, but but nobody will actually be able to do anything about. Yeah, and and I guess that stems from the fact that you know banks are designed to to not take these risks. You know, it's designed to you know you require seven hundred people to say yes, but only one person to say no. Um, and I, you know, I, I do actually agree that I think if you're trying to change a large bank internally from inside, that's almost impossible. I don't think anyone's ever actually done that. Which is why you know you are seeing even now you know banks they need to they need to spin out some kind of greenfield capability right build build something properly from scratch you know I look at a lot of banks I sit down and think why are they not building wholesale banking capabilities that offer out these almost like pseudo fintechs and then allow your propositions to sit on top of it so you know you look at banks they they have a that they're really inverted they have a hundred thousand different low level systems that are monolithic sort of brand at the top. And actually, what they should really have is three or four monolithic core capabilities, stores of value, money movement capabilities, identity, so on and so forth, and then a hundred thousand different propositions over, over, the, over the very top of it. Uh, and I think getting there, yeah, it's that age-old adage of, uh, you know, if you want to get there, don't start from here. Um, I think that applies probably in the big banks. Don't try, I don't think you'll actually be able to change the core, core, core of that bank. Put something out to the side, but have then proper proper capabilities, proper governance, proper investment to say, this is where we are going to have to go and it will be the future. You know, you can, a lot of products, you can sunset over time, cards, accounts, loans, so on and so forth. The ones that you can't, the longer term loans, actually, you can migrate those relatively easily because they are, there's a lot of them, but they don't change very often. But before you do that, you need to really step in and look at what are the core capabilities I need at the very essence, at the very bottom of the bank to allow the very top of the bank to be able to move as quickly as it can? It's an interesting one, isn't it? The more, I mean, the more you sort of go through these things, and I know, you know, at heart, you're a, uh, obviously you're a CTO, you're a technologist. Technology actually isn't really that much to do with this problem, right? It's a, it is a symptom. It's not a disease. Like the, the disease is actually the operating model of large organizations. And it's the project mentality of, you know, chasing features and, you know, feeling like those things are going to be the, you know, this time it's going to be different and this time is going to be a real benefit rather than creating a, really a sustainable operating model. I'm always a big fan of, um, uh, and it's interesting how many times this doesn't land from an international audience perspective. So does everybody know Bananarama is usually like a question. I'm like, the song that they had of like, it isn't what you do, it's the way that you do it, right? So many of these services that we're talking about, you and are, are not just about the services to customers. You know, absolutely, we think the orchestration of people's financial lives and those intelligent services to to bring about context to financial products is important. But the most important services is actually the services to your internal audience. It is that operating model. It's the ability to make product changes. It's the ability to evolve these things. The technology is just what allows that to happen. But actually, the organizational governance needs to be so good that that is something that is encouraged rather than, you know, protecting people from it. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the technology is irrelevant. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with, you know, the project Banks are obsessed with doing projects. They think that's the most efficient way of, 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 of delivering capability. And you could argue it probably is on a per-project basis. But what it means is that you then set something up uh, and you know no one ever really thinks about, all people care about is hitting the project delivery timelines. 
Nobody ever cares about actually creating a viable long-term business. So you try and you know minimize capex, but then your opex just goes through the roof. So you know the number of times we've talked to CIOs or whatever of large large tier ones around the world, and you know they they look at it, think I've got I've got a I've got an opex explosion here. I've got fifty projects in different countries, all have basically built the same type of capability because it made sense for them. And now I've got to run fifty systems with fifty opex budgets and. It's just madness, and that's and then actually these systems they don't have anyone properly looking after them. So I was talking to a to a bank. Um, well, actually, Tim, who works for us, we were talking about a you know one of his previous experiences on the technology floor of a, of a large bank, and he was like, actually, you can see some of the core systems are owned by not by the bank employees, and they're not funded by the bank employees. They're, they're funded, but they're looked after by an external consultant because that's uh, putting quotation marks cost efficient. But these people are not. That's not how you would run a startup. You know, you should almost imagine each of these projects as a startup with its own, own funding model and own governance model, and actually even looking at its own its own customers. Because then actually there is an incentive to the people inside these teams to actually improve it. The way that banks currently work, there's no incentive for anyone inside the project to do anything other than hit the timeline, and then basically get put onto another project. Knowledge is lost, uh, and and so you've got you end up with a trillion and one different systems. That nobody's really looking after the opex is through the roof and you don't wonder why why you're slow is that really you know when we get down to it uh, again it's it's actually down to is everybody aligned around the same problem but arguably i i guess in terms of you know the the sort of misty mountain of the horizon that we're talking about and and again look this is not um you know hands wavy just can't we help customers it's like actually this is this makes total business case sense because the idea of contextualizing your products into services makes your services much more efficient at being sold but actually your services then are uh, defending your commoditization as an industry which is a hugely sensible thing as well you know any industry that's been commoditized we've seen you know really negative outcomes mobile network operators various you know internet providers like all different types of things if you can't differentiate and provide a real service your customers become incredibly price sensitive and then actually all, all you're doing is commoditizing yourself but on that incentive part then you and and again you know we often say this it's like every organization is just what everybody does every day is this a almost a a bit of a watershed moment when it comes to actually rather than the whole bank having one objective then actually that layer diagram you referred to earlier on, whether it's people looking after the, the basics, the underpinning rails, where they have to be you know, lean and mean and the objectives are around service. They're, they're providing services to their own organization. They are an outsourced but insourced capability. You know, people providing financial products, you know, that product level, the the sort of how do I make sure that actually we've got the best processes to update, create mortgages, create current accounts, inter intertwine these things and make them work. And then actually you've got the services layer above that. I mean, all of these things have got slightly different objectives, haven't they? I know um, Jason, when we often talk to, to people about this, likens it to a restaurant. You know, the people in the the uh, washing the pots have got different incentives to the people who are cooking the dinner and different to the people who are serving the food, different to the, you know, the, the manager on the front greeting you when you get there, right? They're all there for the same objective overarching, but the fundamentals of what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and therefore the objectives and the requirements around them are, are really different as well. So I guess taking that into the, the banks, like 
this capabilities level, the the new layer view, it sort of feels like that's a that's a shift in the way in which big organisations need to be structured as well. Yeah, it's fundamentally a shift. I mean, we we were did some work last year with a, a North American client, and they were looking at a you know a new credit card system. And you know the obvious thing for everyone to do is go out and do a vendor assessment and what's the what's the right credit card system to to work and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What would every bank would do? And the question I asked is, why are you putting in a credit card system? Why didn't you build an internal marketer or an internal Stripe or so on and so forth? And you know it would probably use the same underlying systems, but the the mindset of how that system would be set up is fundamentally different. Because if you're building an internal market or an internal Stripe, because all they're doing is, is processing, et cetera, you know, Marketer and Stripe don't sell whatever the underlying vendor system is. They sell that service. And you know, the project is the, the, the governance model is set up that way, the, the funding model is set up that way. Because if you think about it, if I'm building a, a bank for it say it's a lot, you know, a bank and I want to build on top of, you know, I want to launch quickly. As a startup guy, we would go out and find a, a, a bad supplier in some way, shape, or form that would allow us to move quickly. Banks don't do that. Well, you know, small banks will do that. And, and you know, we, we talk about sort of the, the small credit unions and the mutuals and the builder societies and, and actually the early days of Starling and so on and so forth. And we'll probably not Starling because they built their own core, but, you know, Monzo and, and Revolut, et cetera. They, they, they went and launched on, on, on top of a new money license. Um, but if you if you went to a, to a big bank, they'd try and build it on top of their core systems. But actually, what they should be building is is effectively an internal stripe or an internal marketer, or you know, if it's for identity, it's an internal fido or an internal alloy or so on and so forth, who then will allow you to build your other capabilities on top of that. You know, you've got standardized APIs, you've effectively got standardized pricing, you've got a set of people whose job it is, is not to expose the underlying technology, but to build a set of capabilities that allow the other people in the bank to do what they need to do. And, you know, I think that's, it's really, you probably end up using the same technology, you probably end up using the same people, but the OKRs or the, or the, or the KPIs that actually that team are now working to are fundamentally different KPIs the KPIs that you would have if you know, my job is to keep XYZ system uptime with with 99.99% you know and low latency, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you're now there. The metrics are about how do I allow someone else to build a product on top of me very, very quickly. Subtle but fundamental. Yeah, I think it's um it's almost just getting down to where everybody in an organization needs to understand who do they serve. Uh, and I don't mean that from a hey, you know, build my pyramid type way. I mean, from a, actually, you're either a serve to the business or you're trying to serve a customer. And arguably, they're both part of a, a bigger pipeline that achieves both of those things in, in that way. But it goes back to that metaphor, doesn't it, about, you know, fishing rods and fish. Actually, most organizations' transformation programs and the the projects that are within them are there to, to create fish, you know, their features. They're chasing a, a thing that they won't, meet in the market whereas actually what we're talking about is the the building of capabilities to to allow them to to really understand what fishing's like um and we're gonna, probably gonna have to wrap up you and i'm afraid because um i mean we wanted to kind of give people a a little bit of an insight into some of the conversations that we're having and you know we'll be back and and doing this more frequently with you guys because the it feels like the the market's at a really interesting turning and tipping point for for really people kind of getting this. Uh, I mean, it's a funny one when we say the future of financial services is services, and 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 that is really services to the organizations, the employees, and fundamentally those customers at that, that way as well. And um, the first way, and I always sort of joke about this in any 
you know, speaking thing we're doing is, uh, you know, the first way to to really get to that uh, point of, you know, understanding this uh, and really the, the first step in any, you know, great 10-step program, whether it's Alcoholics Anonymous or, you know, Weight Watchers or anything, you've got to admit that there's a problem. Uh, and actually, I think if we admit that there's this problem and, you know, really focus around solving this problem, then, you know, ultimately organizations get to a, a much better place. But, um, you know, admitting it is difficult, but um, is necessary to get to where we need to get to. All right. On that note, we are going to have to wrap up today's discussion, though. So thank you so much for joining me, Ewan. Where can people learn a little bit more about what you're up to and reach out? Uh, well, I tend to hang out on LinkedIn. So if you find me on LinkedIn, otherwise the usual 11fs.com site that, uh, in the podcast that you know so well, David. Very good. All right, folks, uh, you can find me over on LinkedIn. Uh, do you know what? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one because essentially it's a conversation that we have so frequently that actually I, I love to kind of get people's feedback and, and kind of get into conversation about it. So feel free to DM me on LinkedIn. Uh, look forward to seeing what you think. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. And if you really want to, you can email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Speak to you soon. Goodbye.